Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm talking to Linda Moore, Head of Talent and Development at the Bradfords Group. Linda talks about the challenges of transforming the business from a family culture to a commercial culture and how surprisingly, communication has improved as a result. She openly talks about the challenges of attracting a younger and more diverse employee and the impact that has on the business and the managers within it. Hi, Linda. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Jude. No worries. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to have you here. Can you explain for the benefit of the listeners who you are and what you do? Of course. Uh, So my name is Linda Moore. Uh, I am the head of talent and development at the Bradfords Group. Bradfords Group is a business that is in the construction industry. It has two businesses operating within it. One is a builder's merchant with 40 plus sites predominantly across the southwest of England. Um, And the other is a company called Snow's Timber, which is an importer of timber. Um, It imports timber, adds value to elements of it and distributes it. So essentially it's a, a timber distribution business. We also, I should add, have a company called uh, YPS, which are a plumbing business. They form, they work very closely with our builders merchants. So in total, we've probably got 60 plus sites um, across the UK. And we, as I say, are in the construction industry. So I can imagine that there's lots of uncertainty. I mean, the construction industry is a, is an industry like like many industries that's going through huge uncertainty. But what what's your specific experience of leading through uncertainty? Um, well, you're absolutely right. We have huge amounts of uncertainty. So um, specifically in the Bradford's group, 2008 was um, the, the real challenge for us in that obviously the recession hit. And we took some huge knocks as part of that recession. Um, We changed the business uh, in that we had to lose people, sadly. Um, And my experience from that is that we've never um, really, uh, we're back um, trading and trading well now. But as a part of that process, it has been um, a real difficult process to get to where we are today. In the midst of all that, we're a family-owned business, so we have been trading since 1770s, um, and so it's a a very well-established family business. One of the things that we did probably about four years ago was took the decision to have our chair, who'd always been a a member of the family, the chair was changed, so we we brought someone in that was not a family member, um, and our CEO, so he, he came in as a CEO, um, and he um, has changed the business dramatically. Um, what, what he looked and, and thought was, you know, we really need to survive. It, in order to survive, we need to change and we need to be more adaptable as a business. And he's taken us over the last four years, probably coming up five years now, through that process of change, which has been phenomenal. So he's recognised that we need to grow the business. We have um, over the last three or four years, but a number of sites, again, across the southwest um, and incorporated them into our business. But more importantly, the biggest change that we've had to to do is is the culture. So we've gone from 
um, being a very family orientated business, trying to keep that ethos, but also make sure that we're a, a business that is profitable um, and is able to survive in this new world, which is a very different world to where we were in 2008. So there's been some huge changes uh, across our leadership teams, uh, across our people. And of course, because it's a massive culture change, the big issue has been that there are people that have, have been in the business a long time that find it very difficult to adapt to the new way of thinking. However, had we continued in the old way, the chances are that we may not have survived and, and been where we are today. So we've had some real challenges to address along the way because we've brought people in with new ideas, want to do things differently versus the people that need that, that, that have said, well, we don't, don't really see what's the matter. We were all a profitable business before um, our CEO joined us. But would we have been profitable had we continued in that way? It's obviously the unknown question. The chances are on yes. the balance of probability that we, we maybe wouldn't. Um, we're not massively um, advanced. It's not, you know, we, we, when I joined the business, it, it felt like it was stepping back in time. I'd had previous experience in the food industry and the electronics industry. Um, and it did feel very much like um, a slower pace business when I joined it it is not like that now it is absolutely we are busy um we've probably got some changes in that you know we've maybe not got as many people as we did have in certain places so that adds um, but we're as busy as we've ever been so that adds pressure to people and um, we're you know, we've started to look at things like efficiencies, how efficient we are as a business. How do we do things? Do we um, do we do things? Are, are, are we really putting the customer at the centre of everything? Because for us, the customer experience is, is is massive. But we've also tried to keep the family feel and the family culture and balancing those two has been massively challenging as well. So if we look at yeah so how do you how do you how do you balance that that challenge of keeping the family culture but also keeping the you know creating the culture of it, it's a business that needs to make a profit yeah. needs to grow how, how do you balance the two and how and secondly with that how do you bring people how have you brought um, people I think with you? bringing people with us has been about communicating and you know my sort of stock comment on communication is if I'd solved it, I, I don't think I'd be sat in the Bradford's group in all probability. I'd be somewhere earning millions saying this is how you do communication effectively. Um, I think if we did an engagement survey today, we would still have the same old, you know, we don't communicate effectively, but we have done lots of things that we've tried to show that we are communicating. So we have um, we've introduced we, we have a company magazine that we I think we bring out quarterly. Um, and that tells us all about the people in the business that are leading it um, and what we're doing in our initiatives. We have grown our marketing team considerably and we try and um, communicate out to not only to the wider world about what we're doing, but also to our people about initiatives. We hold a lot more um, sort of open days in the business where we are hopefully um getting people to customers to come in and spend time with us and we try and communicate that across the teams as well to let them know our ceo um does a, an online ask him any question you like uh, once a quarter um, and and we can just get on we we type our questions it's completely confidential and anonymous he doesn't know and we can ask him absolutely anything and he responds to those questions so he 
yeah he's sort of opened himself up to um (laughs) some real challenges with some of the questions to be fair because when you're asking questions anonymously you don't pull any punches do you you're very people can be very frank and and you know people will give him an idea of of how he's doing um uh, but you know i think there are uh, the communication side but also within that communication it's also trying to do things better for people um, and I'm sure, you know, if you go and canvas people, there's different opinions out there. But essentially what we've tried to do is we've tried to keep that family feel by continuing to look after people, which is really what that if we were very paternalistic. Um, and I, I think we still are comparatively. Certainly we know when we bring people in who've worked at some of the national businesses that, are, that we compete with, they will tell us, wow, you know, we know people. Um, from a head office perspective, we are very visible and we are very supportive. So I, I obviously have a head office role, but I go out, visit branches, and I'm not on my own doing that. Lots of people um, in the senior leadership teams do the same. We, we go out, we know people. Um, I, I don't know every single person in the business, but I know a lot of them and not just at a senior level. So we that's very much a family feel. We're very, I think, you know, the directors in the business are extremely visible. Um, but the other side of it, how do we um, how do we make money? We, we, we do the right things and we, we, we put more processes in the business. So we look at more things. We look at the cost of, you know, sending vehicles out on the road. Our transport fleet is huge and, you know, it's a massive cost to, to the business. So we look at that. We look at how we recruit. We look at every single person is looking when, when we've got a, a support role from a head office perspective. We're looking at what we spend. Um, we're looking at how we efficient we are we're looking at our key performance indicators which probably you know when I first joined that that was the sort of thing that it was kind of off limits really we didn't we didn't do that and you know looking at a set of accounts it was well why would you want to look at a set of accounts when you are part of the HR team is well why would I not you know we, we all we all need to be able to drive cost and understand cost of the business and it was a bit of a they didn't really understand that when I first joined, and we've certainly we're, we're certainly not there now. You know, we talk about that. We're very open. Um, we try and encourage managers to let their teams know how they are performing and what their challenges are. Do they do it every single time that we ask? Probably not. But you know, when we go around, we're, we're very open about our, those conversations as well. So there's a bit more. I would say we're a lot more open. I would say um, it, it, we, we've we've had to keep that family feel because that's why people join us and that's again what makes us slightly different in you know we want people we want good people to join us so we want people to like us and um, like working with us and you know I say a lot that people work for people and I think in our business people do stay and because they like the people they work with as well as the job that they do. Okay, so so do you think the family feel and the family culture um, actually increases the engagement that people have and, and causes yeah, them to stay I longer? Yeah, uh, do you know, I think it does. I think that's why we, we need to hold on to that. Um, I think, you know, if you come into business, if you look at our business, it's a, it's a large business, got over a thousand people, but we break that down into the number of sites and businesses. So, you know, the, if you if you come to some of our sites, they're quite small. You might only have 12, 15 people. Some sites, you might only have four or five people working in there. So it is really important that if you're one of those four or five, one of those 12 or 15 
that you you know it doesn't matter what the bigger picture is and you know the success and the profits and what what you're interested in is your local site so it's really important that ha that does have a family feel because if it doesn't you might you, you could go anywhere couldn't you you know you you, you might be in tesco you might be in Alga. the important thing for us as a business is that we get people in and they feel that they're part of a their team and the wider business of bradford's so you know and, and it's it's a massive challenge to get people to feel like that but actually if you get your managers right and your managers like the people they work with and they recruit on the basis of they get the right fit um then you're halfway there um i think in terms of that retention and getting people to you know like working for us and you know i'm sure out there there are people that have left and have left because they didn't particularly like it but in the main we we absolutely that that's our real driver that we want people to come and work for Bradford's because if you want to work for the business you're going to do a good job um, and it, for us it's about having that feel and how do you how do you get that um, same family feel in the in the head office then because I'm I'm guessing that you've got larger volume of people there you know I get it's easy to to create a family well not easy but you you can it's easier to create a family feel you know in a in a small venue of, of sort of mm -hmm. 40 yeah. people but how do you do that in head office I think head office is um it's interesting um so at my role um I've, I've been in the business uh, 12 years I don't know if I said that but I've been in the business 12 plus years actually um and um uh, when I very first joined I my role was based had a mixture of, I had a base in head office I also had a base at one of our sites in Glastonbury and I really did not like head off my head office role um as in being based in head office um so uh, I got the opportunity to um, not have to be based at head office. I grabbed it and uh, disappeared out into the, <laughs> the wilds of Glastonbury. Um, but more recently, about two years ago, I have moved back to the head office role and it is a completely different head office. So for me, um, we, we, we've done a number of things actually. We, we create this open plan area um, in in our it's a two-story building and upstairs is open plan which I think some people like and some people don't like is, is, is always the case mm. but actually what that's meant is that the teams are, are very open um, and, and everyone can see each other um, we are we have very friendly um, you, we try and make people feel very welcome from day one we're all here to help um, and we all we all want people to do well so the head office side as a group uh, I would say that probably from a head office perspective everybody pulls together more so now than it has ever done um, I think we get to know each other we have to liaise more with each other as well because quite often there's a lot of crossover in what we do so you know, the marketing uh, team have to spend a lot of time with um, the product team who are doing the buying, the systems team that are, uh, are putting information on the about our products on our, whether it's our website or um, whether they're providing information internally. We have to work as a HR and, and training development team. We have to work closely with marketing because we want them to um, understand what we're doing and how that contributes to to some of the things they're doing. So because we have do we, we you know part of our roles is that we have to work more closely together we absolutely have to work closely with our transport team um, because we're providing training for a lot of the, the kit and equipment that they use because we've all kind of moved out of that silo which is really easy to get into we've moved out of that a lot more over the past few years that's probably helped with the head office getting on better 
that then helps when we go out to sites because we know when there's issues at sites who we can point them in the direction of. So if somebody's having an issue with um, something on their system, we can say, oh, you know, talk to IT or talk to pricing or talk to the product team. They'll be able to support and, oh, I didn't, you know, out of the sites, they might not know that. So that whole kind of liaison and going back to what I said earlier, the communication probably helps. Um, yeah, and it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because what I'm hearing is that you've you've moved from a you know a primarily family culture mm, to a commercial one, yes. and in the process, your communication has actually improved. Yeah, because because there's a a need to work commercially and actually work much more collaboratively together. It's an interesting it's an interesting idea because you would you know I, w- I would have expected it to be the other way around. So it's interesting that. That having the commercial yeah. culture has actually increased the the communication level. Yeah, and I think you know that that is absolutely it. You know, before um, it, we were very silo. You know, we we if you did a particular area, didn't necessarily unless you were the sort of person that went out and saw information. It wasn't necessarily forthcoming, and maybe we didn't um, spend as much time together. And that that's from my perspective how I'm seeing it. Um, we um, we have changed our We've had a lot of changes in our management team um, levels, and I said that earlier, not just at a senior level, you know, all our management levels, we've had a huge amount of change as we've gone through this sort of um, transformation from um, being a more commercially minded business across the piece. I think there's probably people that would have said, oh, you know, we've always been commercially focused, and I, I wouldn't disagree with that, but I don't know, necessarily know that everything, everybody felt that they were more commercially focused and that's that kind of family versus um, almost PLC type business isn't it so uh, yeah I think you're absolutely right I think you know our communication has improved albeit we are moving towards a more commercially focused business which probably is quite an interesting um, more interesting you know that we've gone that way than the other less communication yeah more drive yeah yeah I get that yeah. And what's been what's been the biggest challenge that that you've faced in in going through that that transformation in oh, the business? Huge huge amounts of um, challenges for me. So my role has changed dramatically. Um, so my role when I joined the business, I, I joined as um, I think I was the HR manager. We change our job titles <laughs> frequently, but I joined as a HR manager and I, I moved up and headed up ended up heading up a part a, a HR was head of HR for two businesses, one of which we no longer own. We sold recently, actually, in the last couple of months. Um, and I, I kind of got to a point where that was great. Um, but I wouldn't say I felt like I'd been there and done everything, but I'd got to a point where, for me, I, I wasn't really sure that that was what I wanted to do forever. Um, so I came to a bit of a, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. And the business said to me, well, why don't you take on the learning and development role? I had no idea at all what that meant. Um, from a HR perspective, I've done loads of um, training. Um, I'd run training courses. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd help people to develop. Um, but I didn't really know what an L&D real. We didn't have um, any such things in the business. And I thought, there's just no way I can do that. What I have seen in the business in the last three, four years is that we've moved people out of what 
potentially are their comfort zones, I think, um, and challenge them to do some things. And sometimes that challenge has been, oh, well, it's not for me. Um, and that's where I kind of got to. I thought, I don't really know that L&D is for me. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? If I try it and I don't like it, I'm no... I know I'm definitely no longer a HRE, L&D sort of person. Um, so I took it on and the business kind of just said, well, tell us what you want to do. Um, we're paying a levy. We're about to start paying a levy and we don't really do anything on apprentices. And for me, I had to kind of start from scratch and find things out. It, you know, it, what it said was, you're quite a senior person, Linda, go and sort yourself out, you know, do your own learning. We, we, we're not going to tell you what to do. You're going to tell us what we need to do. And actually... They've probably given that challenge to lots of people. Some have fallen by the wayside. Some have done okay. And some have been really, you know, really successful. And the point of fact is I'm still here 18 months into that challenge. Um, and I have found mm -hmm. that, you know, found things within me that head of HR thought I was, you know, hey, I've kind of been there, done it all. And what more is that? Wow, huge amounts more. You know, how I suddenly had to go back into the group business. I'd, I'd worked for two businesses, but I hadn't done the biggest business, which is Bradford's Building Supplies, the merchant business. Re-establish relationships with people that were brand new. I did not have much to do with them. I knew of them, but I had not had to... And also persuade, you know, people to that apprentices are a great thing that, you know, focusing on L&D, getting time to um, to develop people, doing things the right way at the start of a process, i.e. recruitment, you know, recruiting for the right person rather than just, you know, a quick fit and getting someone in that can do be up and running immediately versus let's train someone and they, they're not going to be up and running immediately, but they will add more value because you get to shape and mold them. That's been a massive challenge. Um, and, and uh, you know, convincing the business that we need to do certain things in terms of L&D and training has also been a massive challenge because, as I said earlier, we are hugely, there's loads going on in the business. There's lots of change and everyone is getting everything thrown at them. So getting people to buy into you and your little piece that is that bit that whether everyone likes it or not, training is always that bit that they chuck away first, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we'll do that later. We can, um, and trying to get persuade people into that. I have to say, I, I wouldn't say I've impressed myself, but I have surprised myself by how much I've <laughs> had to do and how different it's been, um, you know, and and. And what what is it what is it that you what skills have you developed in in order to be successful? Um, I kind of I, I've had to look at myself in a very different way because as head of HR, most times if I said something, people went, "Oh, we better do it." It's HR. Now they go, "We well, yeah, are not really sure." So my persuasiveness, and I've had to kind of adapt, and I don't I feel like I, I have to sell more. Before it was just mm. this is what you need to do. This is you know, and it's almost from a HR perspective. Sometimes you just kind of default to, do you know what? It's the law. Do it. That doesn't really apply mm. from an L and D perspective, much as I've tried. So I've had to, you know, you have to be more relaxed when people don't want to do the things you do. I've had to analyse why do they not, um, and go back and you know give a more cogent argument for why they should. I had to be more persuasive. I've had to, I guess as well. I've had to listen more to the business and what it's needed. Um, and I've had, I wouldn't say I've had more time to do that, but the role is a lot, it, it's not as immediate. I'm not seeing the results of what I did immediately. So I'm having to learn that whatever I'm putting in place now may not 
necessarily show benefits for six to 12 months, um, maybe even longer in some cases. Um, and also the biggest challenge that we have faced is because we've brought apprentices in, and this is from my perspective, they've tended to be younger, you know, the, the sort of anything from sort of 17 to um, early 20s. And managing that age group, we were a business that, you know, if I, if I was just to give a, a kind of average person in the business would probably be a white male mid 40s um, doing a very manual role mm -hmm. suddenly we're bringing a younger generation that ooh, they absolutely don't work in the same way as we know but until you you're living and breathing that you don't realize how challenging that is so suddenly had to kind of become a um, really good at listening really good at hearing two sides of a story uh, when I know their poles apart now there's a HR element of coming into that because that's what we've always done. But then you've had to kind of persuade people because not there's not always an answer. You know, this is now how do I persuade these people to, you know, understand how to manage and, and understand the people coming in that this is what the world of work is like. That's been a massive challenge. Um, and I've kind of had to lead that because it's my remit to to manage apprentices or to, to manage the apprentice program, not the yeah. apprentices themselves. That's been hugely challenging for me. And how is the, um, you know, the change in the fact that you, you're now getting a, a younger population mm. coming into the workforce? How is that? How is that changing the culture? Oh, massively. It is because they just do things very differently. So unless we learn now, in 10 years, we are going to be so far behind the, the norm that we are not, you know, we're going to struggle to recruit. And these are, you know, when you're bringing them in for the first time, it's often the first step into the world of work. So that for us, for me, there's some great things about it because they're kind of opening eyes to how to manage a, a more challenging set of, a more challenging group of people. They ask a lot more questions. They want to know why we're doing things in a certain way. They don't really understand uh, that you know it's not okay to be on your phone all the time because they've always why why is that not okay I'm I'm still able to concentrate even though I'm yes but you know that's still not the point so they do challenge they're very challenging they're also they go up and down in terms of their motivation so you know I don't think I've ever had a, a week or even a day where everything is going swimmingly well in the world of apprentices so you know some will be hitting a bit of a low point some will be on a, a great high point but they uh, the managers are, are kind of having to manage more um, they're having to be on it they're having to talk to them they're having to explain whereas before it's been well just get on with it and do it no 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 that's not what you're doing well, anymore. and that's not um, that's not really leadership is it so uh, you know what what no. I'm hearing is you're having to shift from from management which is just, yeah. just do it to actually mm. how do you how do you lead and engage and inspire yeah so what what yeah. are the skills that some of the managers are developing then that they perhaps wouldn't have before I think they're probably having to develop um, a lot better listening skills, mm -hmm. um, probably more um, thought provoking decision making um, because they're having to make decisions around things that they've not had to make before, um, situations that they've not had to. They've had to be more forgiving um, in terms of, you know, timekeeping has been interesting with the apprentices because, you know, the time of if your start time is 7 or 7.30, that's not always seem to matter. <laughs> then it's like, whoa, how does that work? Of course it matters, you're in it. So having to sit down and explain, um, 
you know, make some decisions around um, some of the difficult situations they may have found themselves in with their apprentices. Again, you know, our culture, we, we look at our business, we're, we're a merchant. The relationship we have with our customers is that we know probably 80% of our customers we know well because they come in regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, for, for us, getting the apprentices to kind of, understand how to create that customer focus and and understand how that customer experience works has been a bit of a challenge because you know they they having those conversations are not necessarily natural for them so i think our managers have had to develop their skills in a different way so all the skills that you would expect in terms of you know um them being uh, good decision makers, good motivators, able to delegate. They've had to think twice about how they manage this age group than they have with other age groups. So Mm. I think ultimately it's about taking yourself out of that zone of comfort that you're used to. We've always recruited, you know, and we've therefore ended up with a very male orientated workforce, you know, and the argument is always been, well, they're the sort of people that apply. What's really interesting with our apprentices, absolutely not. So the majority or 50-50, we've got a good split, 50-50, 50 female, 50 male. Um, And that's interesting as well. So that's going to start to to change the the dynamics too. Yeah. And, you know, the demographics of the business will change considerably because, you know, we see that being the norm now. You know, it isn't just males that are applying for roles that would have traditionally been perceived as male roles not because we want them to be male roles but it, it has been that out there in the in the wider world you know it has been that predominantly males would apply for roles drivers for example very male orientated um you know now we're seeing our as many females as, as males apply for roles but you know they get on forklifts there's no reason why they can't progress onto driving lgbs and vans and so on and so forth so you know, for me, that's been great. I, I, I think that's a, a real bonus to see that change at the bottom, you know, from, from the apprentices driving that change. Yeah. Brilliant. And so um, coming back to you then, Linda, mm-hmm. what are um, what are the three qualities that of, of your leadership that you think have been most important for you in uncertainty? I think you do <laughs> resilience. I, I really love the word resilience because I think um, you, you do need to have that bit of resilience to, to keep you going. Um, you know, if I think of, um, I mean, I'm here 12 years later, so theoretically, well, definitely, it's because I, I really like the business and I really like the people I work with and I really like my job. Um, but you've ha- I've had to be resilient to kind of keep going through some really tough times, um, really tough times when you're sat in front of people telling them that we don't have a job simply because the finances don't support those roles, you know, redundancies, etc. Have to be resilient to get through that. I think you do have to have an element of creativity. Um, you have to be able to not just think differently, but think in a more creative way. Again, because because times are uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen in the future, you have to be able to think. Let's you know, can we do it this way? That it's really easy to rely on things you've already done and things you already know, and you have to be able to think differently. I think that's really important. You have to, and I think you, you know, you. You do have to have some commercial and, and business acumen to, in any role. And certainly mm. that was not the case when I joined this business that, you know, I'd come from businesses that were very commercially focused and, you know, we had to be on it and, 
when I first joined this business, it absolutely wasn't like that. It is now everything you do and everything you want to do, you have to think very commercially about how it will work. It's okay sort of saying, yeah, well, it's HR and we don't know what we add to the bottom line, but you really should be able to tell what you add to the bottom line um, and how you add mm. that. And, and that's all about being commercial and understanding the wider business commercially as well. Um, and I think they're the three things that help you through big change if you can do that because you see things you see what's happening you can think of solutions you can think of how to do it differently and you've got the resilience to get you through when everyone else is saying that's not going to work or well that's a rubbish idea and you know some things are but you know I think if our CEO wasn't resilient um, hugely resilient he would have given up at the first hurdle and he absolutely hasn't yeah Right, and, and and he hadn't been creative, so I think it applies to everybody, not just me. Yeah, I think I think it does, and uh, but but I but I think that's the interesting thing with leadership is the things that we that we value are the things are the qualities that that we also have. So um, so you know, flipping mm. it the other way around, what are the qualities that you have are you know are always going to be qualities that that are needed in leadership. So um, mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you, Linda. Thank you ever so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Cultural change is always challenging and clearly communication has been a large part of bringing the employees with them as Bradford's shifts from a family culture to a commercial one to secure its future growth and position in the marketplace. I love the three skills that Linda identified as being important. Resilience creativity and commercial. Those three skills will go a long way for every leader in today's uncertainty. Linda also explained the need to expand your comfort zone and the willingness to have a go at something you've not tried before. It's the infamous saying, if you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got. Clearly, Linda is willing to embrace uncertainty and push the boundaries in order to grow and develop the business. That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.